Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of A Great Day for Talk Radio, Thursday edition. It is hot, hazy, and humid. And it looks like there is a front coming in as far as uh, maybe flushing things out. Obviously, though, if you're doing work in the backyard, uh, you want to get that done before the rains do come. You know, there's been a busy hive of activity at a a residence in my hood uh, at 53 Mallory Crescent in the Leaside neighborhood. Uh, I guess a notorious uh, neighborhood or at least address now that we've uh, had a series of discoveries there, rather grisly, where uh, the remains of seven individuals and perhaps more have been discovered. The latest update on that story, as you heard Danny mention in the news, is that uh, yesterday when the coroner's van pulled in, it sort of uh, presaged that there was something that was being recovered along the lines of human remains. I wanted to get the details on the story, flesh it out a little more fully. Joining us on the line is Homicide Detective Sergeant Hank Itzinga. Detective Sergeant, it's good to have you back in the Oakley Show. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, John. Thanks for having me. All right. I appreciate it. Obviously, uh, you've been doing yeoman's work there on that site. Uh, can you tell us exactly what was recovered yesterday, today? Uh, unfortunately, I can't. All, all I can uh, tell you is that some human remains have been recovered. Uh, the excavation is ongoing, and we expect to be there for... Uh, several more days yet, if not uh, a couple of weeks yet, and uh, we will continue digging and see what else we find. They have been positively identified as human remains? They are definitely human remains. And who ascertained that? Well, the, uh, there's a forensic anthropologist on scene, as well as a coroner who attended after uh, the remains were found, and it's quite obvious that they're human remains, so and they're the ones who declare that. I see. Uh is there any link then to the previous discoveries of the remains on that property, evidence linked to Mr. MacArthur? Well, we don't know that yet. Until we identify the remains that we've located uh, yesterday uh, and whether we can link them back to the property or not, uh, keep in mind that we recovered the remains of seven of the individuals. Uh, we've laid eight murder charges so far. Um, Mr. Kayan, we haven't recovered or identified any of the remains as belonging belonging to him yet. So these these remains that we found yesterday, could they be uh, partial remains of some of those seven uh, victims where we already have some remains? They could be. Could they be remains of Kaihan? Uh They could be. Could they be of someone completely different? Uh, we just don't know yet. So walk me through the process of identification then from uh, discovery. I mean, is it done through DNA? If it's, uh, say, a skull, is it through dental records? Uh, and then how do you take it to a lab and further determine who these may belong to? Well, it, it's there's several different ways. So the the first uh, method that we would look at would be through fingerprints. If the decomposition isn't uh, too bad, we can actually get fingerprints off some of these remains. And that's presuming, of course, that the individual who's missing has their fingerprints on file somewhere. So that's step one. Uh, if, if that's not possible, we look at dental records. And that's presuming that we have recovered the teeth in, in the remains. And if that's not possible, then step three becomes DNA. And are all bones suitable for DNA? No, they're not. Some are, some aren't. And uh, Or is there flesh that's still present that we can extract DNA from? That's taken by the forensic anthropologist and the pathologist uh, from Ontario Forensic Pathology Services and then forwarded to the Center of Forensic Science and the Center are the ones who do the actual DNA typing and then compare it against samples that we have uh, that we've collected of the victims. Can you give us an idea of the level of decomposition? Uh, Other than saying decomposed, no. 
no. And it, it, decomposition really, and I, I've come to learn this, uh, especially from this case, depends on the environment. If, uh, if a body is in a closed space uh, with no air or uh, water getting into it, 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 it won't decompose nearly as fast as uh, a body that's out in the open. So we've seen all sorts of different levels of decomposition, uh, especially in this case. So it's hard to, uh, to time it. Where were these particular remains found? Well, there's a what's essentially a compost pile at the rear of the property. The property backs out onto a ravine, which is uh, controlled by the City of Toronto. And it looks like the ravine has been used as a bit of a dump for things such as soil, old plants, old trees, branches, tree trunks, and whatnot that have been dumped down the side of that ravine. And we've got two specific sites where the dogs have given us positive hits, and we were working on the very first of those sites starting yesterday when we found the first, uh, the first remains. Those dogs, when they made the positive hits, uh, there have been reports that this goes back as early as May, but it was still uh, a little too early to excavate. Is that right? Well, the ex- excavation itself uh, logistically takes quite a bit of work. It's Like I said, it's on City of Toronto property. Uh, very difficult to access. It's a very steep grade, so we had to have the city come in, uh, remove some trees so we could actually access the area. And then the guys who are working there are... are actually secured by ropes as they're digging on on the steep grade and then passing down buckets of what they've dug up down to a level area further down where we're able to sift through the material. How easy was that to do or difficult? How deep can you tell us the excavation, uh, how deep it had to uh, be dug? Well, I don't know if I can answer that yet because we we dig, and if we don't find anything, then we bring the dogs back and have the dogs search again. So if the dogs indicate on another spot that we've already dug, then we'll dig deeper. So we haven't gotten to the end yet. How good are the dogs in uh, picking up a scent? I mean, it, could it be years uh, that they could s- still pick up the, you know, a scintilla of a scent, or does it have to be fairly fresh? The, the dogs are... are quite something to watch and I, I can give you a couple of little examples uh, where uh, when, they, when they're training these dogs they actually take them to a grave site from the 1800s and they hit on that grave site. Uh, there's some dogs out there if a tree is planted and its roots grow into a decomposing body the dogs can smell that on the tree trunk. So they're very, very sensitive. Uh, I'm told their noses are 100,000 times more sensitive than ours. And obviously they get rewarded uh, when they find something. So they work very, very hard. They get tired very, very quickly. Uh, Just try and inhale as hard as you can through your nose for 10 or 15 seconds and and see how long you last. And that's what these dogs are are doing on a full-time basis. Again, with Homicide Detective Sergeant Hank Edzinga, uh, the lead, on this case of the alleged serial killer Bruce MacArthur and the property in Leaside, where the police have again uh, convened to scope things out with the cadaver dogs, and they've recovered some human remains as of yesterday, and where this will lead. Now, linking this to Mr. MacArthur, uh, does it sort of have to be triangulated like back to evidence that you might have gleaned from his place in Thorncliffe Park? Every little bit helps. I think uh, geographically, if we identify further victims in this ravine, uh, it's linked pretty strongly right back to Mr. MacArthur, and it's all going to depend on identifying any remains that we find and see what we already have on them, if we have anything on them. 
if you recall, we had one one victim uh, who we just couldn't identify at one point in time. And could we come up with that circumstance again? Absolutely. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what the identification brings us. Have you made a determination where the killings took place? Uh, we believe the killings have taken place in uh, at least two different areas, but I can't get specific about exactly where those areas are. Would one of them be his apartment in Thorncliffe Park? Well, again, I can't get specific about it. Uh, obviously, the forensic examination of, of Thorncliffe Park took uh, approximately four months to complete, and we pulled thousands of exhibits out of that uh, premise, and a lot of those exhibits are still undergoing testing. So hopefully we'll be able to answer that question for the court processes. Just in general terms, I, I understand it's been rather meticulous at that place, that residence, uh, the 19th floor at Thorncliffe Park. Tell me how that would work. I mean, I understand there have been like 18,000 exhibits and uh, 1,800 photographs taken. What would those all pertain to? Well, I think uh, 18,000, I think you've got it backwards. Oh, okay. Uh, 18,000 photographs, over 18,000 photographs taken, I believe. Um, sorry? 1,800 uh, exhibits taken. So if you can imagine uh, dealing with a murder scene or a potential murder scene, when you walk into that front door of that premise, every single square inch of that premise has to be examined. And you're looking for... Uh, you're looking for hair, you're looking for fibers, you're looking for blood, you're looking for other bodily fluids. So it's a very painstaking, time-consuming process. And if you're looking at the apartment of what's a, an alleged serial killer where potentially some of these murders took place uh, up to eight years ago, uh, you can imagine how careful and meticulous the forensic uh, officers have to be when they're going through that premise. And they did a fantastic job, and we'll see what comes out of it uh, once the forensic testing is complete. Well, uh, that's the other thing. The timeline on all of this to be completed uh, still quite a ways out, isn't it? Yeah, and, and it's tough because, uh, like like you saw yesterday, we, we're digging and we're digging and we're, we're searching all these premises and we're, th- we're thinking we're almost done. And then, okay, let's go back to Mallory and take another look. And lo and behold, we find more remains. So that opens up a whole new avenue of investigation that we have to pursue. And we still have... Uh, some cold case files that we're looking through and some outstanding missing persons that we're looking at. So uh, I'm hoping there's an end in sight for the investigation, but I, I just it's a little too early to say right now. As to the family that lived at uh, 53 Mallory, what's their status? Are they back in the premises? They're back in the premises. They're not there right now while we're doing this further investigation. Uh, but they've been they've been very good. Uh, they've become actually quite close with a couple of the investigators, and uh, they're very patient people. and And thank thank them for that. And hopefully, with their assistance and the access that they're they're granting us, we should be able to get some answers for some families out there whose uh, whose loved ones are missing. And the hundred or so other properties that you examined, because they had some, uh, I guess, relationship to work being done there by Mr. MacArthur, uh, they all came up negative? They all came up negative. Now, it's it's interesting. Uh, we had a hundred or so properties. We sent the dogs to all of them, and the dogs came back with hits on several dozen of those properties. Uh, and we did some further testing and some, even some small excavations of some of those properties, and we're, we're satisfied that those hits were probably as a result of some cross-contamination. So 
if you're using a shovel at one site and it gets contaminated with uh, decomposing uh, body parts and then take it to another site and use it to dig a flower bed, that flower bed is going to yield some positive hits, uh, well, really false positive hits for the dogs. But we still have to be able to uh, exclude it. What about uh, other locales outside of the city? Uh, as I understand it, you know, there may even be, uh, well, there's this inference that Mr. MacArthur had gone to Hawaii on a vacation. There had been a spate of murders along a similar line. Uh, are you at all communicating with other forces even uh, outside of the country? We are, and, and we have been, and right now we have no evidence that would link Mr. MacArthur to any murders outside of the country, but we're still looking at some pretty broad in scope and magnitude this whole investigation i guess it's huge it's uh it's you know it's been quiet for the last couple of months there hasn't been much in the media but there's a lot going on behind the scenes and now that uh we're back in mallory it's come back to the forefront but it's been ongoing uh for months now really prism started last august and it's been going full steam since then You've been doing wonderful work. I really appreciate that and uh, giving us insight into just how meticulous an operation this is. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me, John. All the best. Take care. Homicide Detective Sergeant Hank Edzinga. Wow. That is a grisly story, but we can appreciate that, uh, you know, everything. You've got to have your T's crossed and your eyes dotted. The cadaver dogs, they took them to cemeteries. (laughs) Man, 18th century, and uh, they can still identify. Are you kidding me? Wow.